Well, hello everybody. How are yins? Good? Good, I'm good too. If you're a first time guest, welcome to Harvest Community Church. My name is Mike. It is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so before the sermon, I'd like to mention just a word or two about that. It's, it's since 1973 when no legislature passed a law, simply nine robed people in majority decided that it was uh, okay to go ahead and kill babies in the womb. I know this is a loaded political question in our country because a haze of reality, of unreality, has overtaken our people about the act of abortion. It's been called reproductive freedom and a reproductive right. Uh, and it, why does abortion happen in our country? Really, it's connected to a lot of uh, big things. It's connected to what does it mean to be human? Not simply what's it mean to have a human in your stomach, um, but also what's it mean to be a woman? Uh, the feminist movement is not about women having the equal rights with men, and it never has been. It's about obliterating the differences between men and women. And the most beautiful thing that a woman has is that she's not a man. Uh, and, and the idea that the woman, by God's design, is the very first home for every human is not lifted up in a feminist reality. And I'm not attacking feminism only. I am attacking them. I'm attacking the entire worldview that holds to that, which is our, the worldview of America. We, we all saw it, or not, maybe didn't see it live, but heard of the Golden Globe. Some uh, lovely young lady won a, a statue, and she got up there and thanked her right to choose that she could win this statue because um, apparently she took care of business once when she was pregnant, and therefore she was free to pursue her career and uh, act in a movie and win a statue. And, and, and the malaise over all of America is, is like, that's normal talk. She exchanged a human life for a statue. And we all go, oh, well, what the heck? She's free. She's free. The whole impetus behind abortion uh, being necessary in America was the idea that children enslave women to a home and therefore they cannot contribute freely in the marketplace. That is the whole thinking. And what's been washed away is that a woman is the only one who can keep our race going. And that is that not valuable to all of us? And so, 60, about 60 million babies have been killed in America. But we've exported this as the leader of the, the world in many things. We've helped to make sure abortions happen all over the world. 60 million Americans. Did you know that we have a labor shortage in America? Um, a talent shortage. The greatest resource we have, we've killed 60 million of. If we didn't have immigration, um, our economy would sink. Did you know that? Um, we would have lesser people every year for the last 10 years if we didn't have immigrants. And then we wouldn't have enough workers. And this great economy we have wouldn't be possible. We killed 60 million Americans in the womb. 60 million. And whatever children many of them would have had over the last 47 years. 
The question isn't what the politicians think. It isn't even what I think or you think. The question is what does God think? As archaic as it sounds, men and women shouldn't have sex unless they're married. And when they have sex, they should expect that pregnancy might happen because that's the plan. And then they should value the woman and the pregnancy above all things until that baby comes and then they should raise that baby and it's more valuable than a hundred statues. This is common sense. We'd like to change it in this crazy world, crazy world. So you get all these, these heartbeat bills, right? That's what states are figuring out. If we, since now we can have the heartbeat of the child at a very early stage, we'd say you can't abort it once it has a heartbeat. And I heard, I've heard that described as not heartbeat bills, but as fetal pulse bills. Pul- no, not pulse, was it throb, pulse. I think they use the word pulsing. It's not a heart, it's something that's pulsing. This is the insanity of our thinking. It has nothing to do with oppressing women. We've destroyed 30 million women in the womb. I think that's pretty oppressive. Now, hopefully this always affects the way you vote, because often that's all we can do. Hopefully it always affects the way you think, in case you yourself have been in this jam, or get into this jam. <laughs> And it helps how it affects how you counsel. One of the simple things we do is fill baby bottles with a few dollars. So let's fill the baby bottles. It may not be much, but it adds up as we all do it and help on the local front. And let us always stay in prayer. And let's, most importantly, and this kind of goes with our series, let's not let the thinking of our deranged world take us away from what should be obvious. Human beings, recreating human beings is a really good idea. And women being women instead of men is an awesome idea, right? I'm such a big fan of women and womanhood. I love women. I think women rock. I like them way better than dudes, and I always have. It is just a, it's a, it's a shame. It's, it's, a, it's a terror. I mean, 60 million. 60 million. If there was a war anywhere that killed 60 million people in 47 years, oh my. So let's pray to turn this around, folks. Let's not be afraid to say this out loud. Uh, if you say, well, I might have had an abortion or helped with an abortion, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Look, we all sin. There's forgiveness, And there's really power to your testimony if you can say, I was on the wrong side and now I see the error and God has forgiven me. Now please listen to me as I talk to you. Uh, Let's open our mouths. Let's let's be a part of the solution, okay? Um, Anyway, let's get into our our sermon today. Our sermon is on a really happy subject. Death. (laughs) Death is the common foe of all of us, he said with a smile. Death is the gaping mouth that swallows us all up. Everyone dies. Life is fatal. Um, 
You know, no one here gets out alive, said Jim Morrison of the doors. Uh, How do we face this enemy is the question I want to ask. Some of you say, well, I don't face it. I ignore it, and that's how I handle it. For some people, it causes such anxiety, they push it away at all costs. Some, just many philosophize, right? Well, you got to die of something, you know, and and, and that's, that'll work until you think you're actually going to die. Eventually, terrifyingly, death is going to be an unavoidable subject for all of us. Martin Luther said, every man must do two things alone. He must do his own believing and his own dying. <laughs> no one can do those two things for you. Uh, I, I believe that the fear of death is the root of all fears. I would... Uh, I won't die on that hill, but I think I could make a good case that that's the root of all fears, that the fear of punishment that's in us is we know we're spiritual beings and somehow death is when we are going to be measured. And, and, and it's fearful to die and nobody really wants to do it. In our uncertain times, people afraid to die will make themselves crazy. People will trade in their freedom for physical safety and for life. In our uncertain times, I want to make the argument that joy and peace are most available to those who look death in the face and beat it down. So I'm going to ask all of you, and myself included, to look death in the face right now. Now, we don't need the world's philosophers on this. They aren't much help. They may comfort you for a moment or two, but they're not much help. We don't need the poets, and we don't need other religions. We, d- we don't need to hear from anyone except our creator, God. And we know where to look, and that's the Bible. So what I'd like to do is a brief survey of God's opinion on the subject of human death. Normally I say, please open your Bible to a text and we sit on it. I'm not gonna do that today. In fact, you might have a hard time keeping up with me. So all the text should be on a screen near you. You can write them down. If you think you're quick enough and wanna look on the page, I do respect that and you may, but I'm gonna move rather fast. And I want you to know that this survey of God's thoughts on the subject of death is brief because he has a whole lot more than what I put here. This is all we can do for now in the time I have, and may God's Spirit teach us all. So the first thing I want to tell you about God on the subject of human death is, death is the unnatural result of man's immorality. Death is, with a a heavy circle around the word, unnatural, which is just the opposite of what most people say. Death is a part of nature. It's natural to die. It's, It's a good thing, some would say. I remember taking my kid years ago uh, to the Lion King when it first came out, and they had death as part of the circle of life. And I sat there thinking, what a lie, right? Circle of life, we teach this to our children with that movie. It's a great movie, but that's, that's just a big lie. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a circle of carnage and destruction. Sure, if you're a lion, it's okay to have a circle of life. If you're a bunny getting eaten by a lion, it's not so happy, you know. You're like, shut up, Elton John. I'm getting my ears chewed off. <laughs> Death is, is, is Steve Jobs, the greatest man who ever lived in America, apparently. 
not really, founder of Apple, said, death is the destination we all share. Makes it sound like we're going to get ice cream. No one has ever escaped it. And then he says this, and that's how it should be. Because death is very likely, he says this, the single best invention of life. Oh my goodness. This is what I mean. You can't turn to people. The single best invention of life. Oh my. <laughs> it's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. I, that's <laughs> I ought to try that at a funeral. Well, made space for someone new. What the heck? Hundred years, all new people. His error is he didn't listen to God. Death is not an invention of life. Death is a cessation of life, and life is good. Death is a problem, and it's the result of sin. Listen to God on the matter, briefly. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so what God is teaching us is when he made man, he didn't die. It was not natural for Adam and Eve to die. Death is an unnatural invasion, and it's a product not of something good, which he said it was a good thing. It's a product of something bad, sin. The wickedness of, of Adam himself is what killed him. And that wickedness was passed to all his children, including you and I, and that's why we die. It's not supposed to happen. It's a product of our immorality. And because we are the lords of the earth, God put us over all creation, that sin has infected the planet. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Death is payment. What did you work for? What did you earn? And what do you deserve? To rot. We were not made to die. We were made to live. Death is not good. It is humiliating. It's, it's proof to the angels and all the universe that we're rotten. You know, angels can look down and how do you know they're rotten? Maybe God makes a fresh new angel. <laughs> it's gonna live forever. Someone says, see them people down there? Yeah, made in the image of God, but they're rotten. How do you know? Watch one of them. He'll rot. He'll die. They are proof of our sin. Second, God on the subject of death. This one I'm gonna take the most time with because it's where we really enter in. Physical death does not end our existence. There are two possible destinies for every person after physical death. People say, well, you die and that's it. How do you know that? You don't know that. And then uh, the Hindus say, well, you die and you come back and you die and you come back and you die and you come back and you die and you're a cow. <laughs> that got in there. It ends with a cow. Okay, okay, whatever. But what does God say? The whole world wants to know what happens after we die. Listen to God on the matter. Daniel 12, verse two and three. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, 
Those are dead people. Some to everlasting life and some to shame of everlasting contempt. Those are two destinies. And those who were wise shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. That's who you want to be. The, the Bible says all over the place, and if you're new to the Bible, I'm going to ask you to do something. Take my word for it. It's in there. <laughs> Only because it would take a long time for me to show you all this part of the story. But the Bible is consistently uh, has the same story. It always ends the same way. People die and are born, die and are born, die and are born, and boom, Jesus comes back. And when he does, he resurrects he deals with all the living and he resurrects all the dead. And then he divides them, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. And that's the words of Daniel. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. Now the New Testament confirms uh, what Daniel says. Remember John the Baptist? If, if, he said that, that when the Messiah comes, he's gonna separate everyone like wheat and chaff. The wheat goes in the barn, the chaff goes in the furnace. Jesus gave a parable of the wheat and the tares, or the weeds. The wheat you, you keep, the tares you burn. Jesus also gives, says the kingdom of God is like a dragnet thrown into the sea, and all the fish are brought in, and the fisherman separates the good that he keeps and the bad that he destroys. Jesus says in, in Matthew 25, when he comes at the end of the age, he will separate the nations before him like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right will have eternal life. The goats on his left will enter into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is what God says is going to happen, so it will happen. By the way, do not let that affect your opinion of sheep and goats that was parabolic. <laughs> Goats are not wicked and sheep good. All right, you can eat either one, they're both good. For eternity, those who are believers in Jesus Christ will live on forever in joy. The destiny of some, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's a verse about mostly the saved. There's two destinies, right? You can perish or have everlasting life. Well, what, if you have ever, what determines which is yours? For those who believe in him, it says. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is aiming for the good, the good destination. You're either gonna perish or have everlasting life and the thing that decides which is your destiny is whether you have faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why it really doesn't matter what other religions or philosophers say. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Listen to what God says in Revelation 21.4 about the destiny of those who know him. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more because it wasn't natural for the living to die. <laughs> Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain because the former things passed away and all those horrible things are just part of sin and death. For eternity though, those who are wicked have eternal punishment. 
A lot of people stumble over this, trying to imagine eternal punishment. I do not waste my time trying to imagine eternal punishment. I don't waste my time trying to imagine eternal as a concept, only because it freaks me out to think of forever. Because it's too big a concept for a human mind to think of time forever. But one thing I know is the God who stepped foot on the earth never lies. And so there will be eternal punishment for some. Many reject Christianity based on this alone. They'll say, well, I don't want to follow a God who sends some people to hell. Which makes no sense. The issue isn't what kind of God do you want to follow. The issue should be what is true. And Jesus walked the earth and he is the truth. Some say, well, no, I believe in Jesus, but don't worry about hell because everyone will eventually be saved. That's called universalism. Or they say, no, I believe in Jesus, but even though not everyone's saved, those who aren't saved are just going to kind of zap out of existence. Both ideas are heresy and wrong, according to God. The texts already, that I've already quoted, and I've hardly touched any, rebut both falsehoods. Obviously, universalism isn't true because some are rejected. Some are raised from the dust to everlasting contempt. And also, like we read in Daniel, <laughs> it doesn't say they're raised to contempt for a second and then they're not there. They're raised to everlasting shame and contempt. Everlasting is a time-bound word. Listen to God more on the matter. Matthew 13, 49 to 50. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them in the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses the figure weeping and gnashing of teeth to speak of hell several times. One must exist to weep or gnash his teeth. So whatever that figure means, the wicked continue on so that they can weep and gnash their teeth. Listen again to God on this matter. Matthew 25, 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Both punishment and life are given the same adjective, and it's a time marker, eternal so if, if the punishment is eternal and the life are eternal, and someone says, well, the punishment's not really eternal because they cease to be. <laughs> well, then perhaps the life isn't eternal because it seems to mean the same thing in both places. And it's just silly to say, he said eternal, but he really meant, I'm gonna zap you out of existence forever. So that's not what he said. Would you have peace in this world? then you must settle your eternal destiny. I know I speak to most people here who confess Christ, but just, <laughs> you may not, or you may wonder. To keep it as simple as possible, the reason there are crosses on top of churches or crosses on jewelry <laughs> or crosses everywhere, why that's a symbol that Christians seem to go for, non-Christians like it too in their jewelry, The simple exchange happened there. Jesus, who knew no sin, when he died, he became sin for all of us. 
Your sin and mine were laid on him. He died. And at that moment, the power of sin was broken for any who will receive him. And when he rose from the dead, he purchased our resurrection from the dead forever in life. So if you will receive Christ, you'll be saved. Receiving Christ is a simple idea. It means you forfeit your entire life to follow him. He becomes your hero, he becomes your God, he becomes your guru, he becomes your grand poobah, whatever you wanna call him, he's the boss. And you say, forgive me my sins because that's what I need. And he comes and lives with you and you live forever. You need to settle that eternal destiny. Or all you got is here, and here doesn't end well. Not in any movie that's long enough. Third thing God says about death is God shepherds the souls of his beloved both now and forever. The ultimate destiny of you, if you know Christ, is you're gonna be raised, right? When Jesus returns, your body is raised. And it doesn't matter where your body is. It doesn't matter if you were blown up in a nuclear explosion and your body is gone and atomized. God can handle that. It doesn't matter if you're laying in a graveyard up the road. God will do that. You're, you're coming up. But you're not going to be yucky like a zombie. Blah. You're going to be glorious like something we cannot imagine. The Bible tells us that elsewhere in a verse that I... You know, passage I wish I had time for, but I do not. If you're taking notes, read the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians and let it blow you away. But you're going to be raised. Well, what happens if you die before Jesus shows up? That's a common question. It's a good question. Some have wrongly guessed that your soul just sleeps waiting for that moment. But that's not right. That's not what God says. Listen to God on the matter. 2 Corinthians 5.8, yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When you're dead, you are away from your body. Before the resurrection at the end of the age, you're away from your body. Where are you, sleeping? No, you're at home with the Lord. So when the thief on the cross was told by Jesus, this day you will be with me in paradise, I don't think he was using day in a figurative way like he does sometimes. I think he meant today. The rest of the afternoon's gonna be pretty rugged for you, but it's gonna end well. (laughs) We saw on the Mount of Transfiguration that Elijah and Moses were very much alive, not soul sleeping, chilling with Jesus, and chatting about the cross and the resurrection. When you die, your soul joins him immediately. Your body comes later. What about the lost, someone could ask? What happens to their souls? Because see, the lost are resurrected at the end of the age too. Not with bodies that are glorious like God's, but some sort of body, and I don't know what it'll look like. The Bible doesn't tell us, but they're raised. And that body is thrown into hell. What, ha- what about before that? Do they soul sleep? No. They go to a place of spiritual torment. Now, don't think of spiritual as less real than physical. Think of it as more real. Because physical pa- fades away. Spirit doesn't. So that doesn't mean it's fun. <laughs> in fact, in Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of two men dying. 
One of them had faith, one of them didn't. So one of them went where you want to go, the other one went where you don't want to go. And then Jesus gives us insight by telling us what the one who went where you don't want to go said. Let me just give one quote for the sake of time. He called out, Father Abraham, which would be the father of the Jews. So figuratively, he's calling out to heaven. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that's the guy who went to the good place, to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. Now, we don't know exactly what that's like because we don't know what it's like to have spiritual anguish. But apparently, it was hot (laughs) and he thought water might help. The answer from heaven was no. There's no door into hell for the righteous. But there's no door out of it for the wicked. So the man revised his request of heaven saying, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that they may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. The man in torment had a concern that his brothers don't come to that place. Remarkable. And the answer from heaven was, if someone were to rise from the dead and tell them what was going to happen, they won't listen if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets. So the answer was, if someone were to rise from the dead, people won't listen if they won't believe the Bible. Is exactly what he said. And today that's still true. Say, well, I'll believe God if I see a miracle. No, you won't. If you don't believe the Bible, you could see a miracle and you'll explain it some other way. You'll be like Ebenezer Scrooge saying, maybe it's just a bad bit of beef I had. You know, it's hard to know much from that Jesus giving us those insights and from his language, but we do know whatever that place is, you don't want to be there. And it precedes their resurrection. Interesting to note, though, whenever I do a funeral, if I don't know the destiny of the person, if I don't know for sure they're saved, first I don't put them in hell because how do I know they don't get saved at the last minute? Well, it takes his faith. But what I don't do is entertain stupid ideas like, they're just sitting around thinking we ought to have a kegger. That's just sacrilegious. That is just the stupidest thing anyone could say. They're in torment, wishing you won't come here. That's sobering. May those on this side of the terra firma have the same concern for their loved ones and friends. Fourth thing God wants us to consider. God wants us to comfort, or wants to give us comfort when we think of our own death. It is not unusual to be afraid of dying. I had this wild experience. Um, when I, my vision went really weird when I was in California a few years ago. And I couldn't read, I couldn't see, everything was getting weird and I felt really weird. So my daughter and I went to the hospital and when I told them, they all freaked out. <laughs> and they, they said, he's having a stroke. And they took me in and they, they, they gave me an MRI. And going to the MRI, I thought, I'm having a stroke, and I wasn't having a stroke. It turns out they said you weren't having a stroke. We don't know what it was, probably some sort of, they called it aura of migraine. I don't really care, but that's what they said. And, um, but I remember going to that MRI thing, machine thinking, 
well, I could die now. <laughs> and I was scared. And what I was scared of was my daughter wasn't with me. They made her stay in the waiting room. I thought, if I'm going to die, I don't want to be alone. <laughs> um, you know, dumb machine going. It's normal to be afraid of dying. It's part of loving life. But Satan wants us to be terrified as if we have no comfort. And he's a liar. Jesus gives us reassurance. I want to show you two ironclad promises. If Jesus said something directly, would you believe him? Would you? Okay, here's what he's going to say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. Never see death. Ironclad promise. For those Christians in here who have faith in Christ, you will never see death. You want more? John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You gotta say it like that. Most of them say, I am the resurrection and the life. You're like, Jesus, you're like a scary ghost, dude. <laughs> like, but if you th- follow the conversation, she goes, well, I know I'm going to see him again at the resurrection. And he goes, I am the resurrection. I think he said it like that, too. Like Ralph Cramden, you don't even know who he is. I am the resurrection, Alice. Bang, zoom, to the moon. That was for some of you older folks. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, watch this, though he die, yet shall he live. And he turns it around, says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Are you alive right now? The answer is yes, if you're wondering. (laughs) Okay, you may not be. (laughs) Hopefully you know the answer is yes. If you don't, you're not real bright, but you are alive. (laughs) Right? Are you alive right now? Do you love Jesus? You'll never die. Ironclad promise. And you're like, well, I don't know if I believe it. Well, Jesus said, do you believe this? When that horrifying moment arrives, guess what? There'll be no horror. If I had died then, I'd have went from one state, state of life to a better one. Think of loved ones. Some loved ones fade away, right? Their mind gets cloudy, not getting enough oxygen. When their spirit leaves, bam, they're more alive than they've ever been. Jesus promises, don't worry, not a moment of death for you. You will never die. Death simply won't be part of your experience. You will leave behind a body, and those people will be sad, but you won't die. That's the promise from Jesus to you. Either that's true or he's a liar. And we know he's not a liar, so that's true. Five, God wants us to look forward to seeing our loved ones who died. He wants us to think about that. We're sorrowful when we lose loved ones, and we should be. Christians will always follow, not always, often follow this logic. Well, when I die, people should celebrate because I'm happy. Okay, I get that logic, okay? But it's not respectful enough of the fact that death is a humiliating, horrible thing that separates you from the rest of us. You have to respect the fact that though we may be happy for you, we can't touch you, hug you, love you, you're gone. 
So when someone dies, you should cry if you love them or be sad or however you handle your grief. And by the way, we have grief share here, which I think is excellent. If you've lost someone the last year or two and you're struggling, please join us for that. Look in your uh, online or bulletin or ask campus pastor. But you should be sad. But you should not be hopeless. Because if that person knows Christ, you'll see him again. And if you don't know if they know Christ, you never know. When I say you never know, I heard this story once, true story of this guy who, who, who among his friends who were Christians, he said, I'm not a believer. I, don't, I just don't believe what you people believe. So he gets in a car wreck and he goes into a coma. They think he's gonna die. He doesn't die. He wakes up and when he wakes up, he's a believer. When his friends ask him, when did you change your mind? He said, as soon as the wreck happened. He doesn't know why. He just knew it was true. And I think about that a lot. I think if he would not have come out of that coma, all his friends would have been like, oh, he's in hell. And they'd have been wrong. You never know. If someone hears the gospel, just takes a moment. And God wants you to look ahead with hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. This is what God says on the matter. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. We just, he just calls them asleep because they didn't die. They just left their body behind to rot and stink and need to be handled. That you may not grieve as though others do have no hope. You're gonna grieve. You should grieve. You should be sad. You know, sometimes somebody will lose someone close to a month later. They're like, I think he's depressed. I think someone died a month ago. And, and someone needs to hear that. <laughs> You're sad because someone died a month ago. You do need to process it well, but you're supposed to cry. It's supposed to ruin your world. This isn't a good thing. But not as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So if you're alive when he shows up in the sky, you're like, Hey, that's Uncle Jim. <laughs> you be like, you look good, Uncle Jim. <laughs> For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. God told us this, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You're gonna see them again. You're gonna see them Again, we have a reunion with those we've lost. I'm gonna see my mom. And she's gonna forgive me for all those times I forgot to do something for Mother's Day. Because <laughs> Jesus fixed her on that. <laughs> she might have been ticked on earth, but now she's happy. <laughs> I'm off the hook. Can't wait to see her. <laughs> Oh, you know what, if, if, if my sense of humor bothers you, first, I'm sorry, I never wanted to, but second, blame my mother, she always encouraged it, she'd always laugh the loudest when I goofed around. No, thank you, you and my mom, that's it. Finally, God wants us to be at peace 
with the timing of our earthly death. This was a big one. Um, when am I going to die? When I had little kids, I didn't want to die. I had all these morbid thoughts that would hit me when I was alone. If I die, what's going to happen to my wife? What's going to happen to my kids? It's not a wise thought, and I'd try to shoo it out, but you... Because God takes care of everybody. <laughs> then I got older, and I'm like, well, I guess I could go now, but I'd like to stick around a while. And... Like all living creatures, I don't want to die. Living creatures fight to live. To long for death, humans are the only ones who ever do it, and if they do it, it's because something's wrong. They're suffering badly because wanting to be here and to carry on is normal and it's right. We shouldn't say, well, it's better in heaven. I hope I die. Then you're, you're blowing this thing. God gave you life and life wants to live. But you can't control how long you stay. None of us can. You want to be guaranteed a certain amount. You're not. No one is so important that God won't take them home when he's ready. You give many examples, but the easiest one is from the Bible. Stephen gave the best sermon ever. He, he talked to all the religious leaders, and the Bible says the spirit was so strong on him, none of them could argue with him. The best message ever, and then they killed him. He didn't even get a follow-up. None of us are, all of us are expendable as far as we know. And that could be scary. But God wants us to be at peace with that. He wants you to be at peace with that. That if I go tomorrow, it's okay. If I go tonight, it's okay. What about my kids? It's okay. What about my grandkids? It's okay. What about my husband? What about my wife? What about my friends? What about my cat? It's okay. I got this. Won't I be ripped off? No. But I never got married. So? I never had kids. So? Anything you think you're going to lose here, what do you think you get there? The inventor of all things good is the one you're going to see, and he's already promised that it's greater than you can imagine. You're not going to have an itch that goes unscratched because you died too quickly. It just won't happen. There'll be sorrow on earth, but not there. And God wants us to be all right with that. To live in this crazy world, if you're constantly afraid of dying, you're going to be more apt to whatever Satan wants to do with your brain. More apt to fear, more apt to desperation, more apt to stupid decisions. God does not want his people to be afraid that they, we may be dead tomorrow. He just doesn't. And that's something we have to deal with God on. I'm not saying it's, you can run those fears away. But philosophically, you can begin to agree with God instead of your own thinking. Romans 14, 7 and 9 gives us an example to live by. This is the word of God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. By the way, though, I might as well stick this in. The whole right to die movement is, is Satan. You don't have a right to die. You know the right to die movement? Well, I'm sick. It's going to cost everyone money and I'm not happy. So you have a right to give me and I'll kill myself. No, that's a sin. To kill yourself is a sin. It just is. It's not one that Jesus didn't die for, he did, but it's wrong. We don't get that choice. 
Well, I don't know why I'd live on. That's not your business. Because if we live, we don't live for ourselves. And if we die, we don't. That's part of the contract of following Jesus. The Bible says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And that price was high. He paid for you with his blood. And he has a plan for every moment. And he has the glory of heaven in his mind for your life. And it doesn't matter if you know why you're alive. He owns you now. None of us lives for himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Christians, we need to die well. I'm not saying I won't be scared if I see a truck coming and I can't get out of the way. I'll be a little upset if, like, my wife is driving it or somebody, you know. <laughs> like, Big Fred. <laughs> sure, I'll be scared. But I can't live in fear of dying. That doesn't please God. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. That he might be Lord of both the living, dead and the living. Jesus went first. <laughs> Jesus went first. He went down to death. He wrestled it. He ripped it apart. He killed it. And then he said, okay, all my people aren't going to have to go through this. <laughs> and then he rose from the dead. And then he says, look, I got you. I got you. I'm worried I might die. When am I going to die? I'm not telling you. Don't worry about it. I got you. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd, he's a good shepherd, which means he doesn't take a break. He keeps an eye on you. You won't die a minute before his plan. Cannot happen. You are immortal until that moment. And you won't live a second longer. It's set. It's his decision. To live well in this life, we must love with all our might every day and we must face down death based on what our God says. Can you and I make a vow this weekend to live for his glory? And can you and I make a vow to die in his time? Can you make that vow to him? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.